what I've been really enjoying in my role at um, Caring is this consulting site that you're actually guiding companies or brands and you're helping with their strategy. And it's often um, on a shorter notice. I think that's really interesting because you get uh, confronted with different issues and different questions. Then you delve deep into the topic, you find solutions, and then they implement it and you move to something else. Welcome to or welcome back to Fashion Career Story. My name is Lucas Silva Edward. I'm a career strategist and leadership coach specialized in the fashion and luxury industry. My role is to help you design a successful life and career in one of the most glamorous industries on the planet, but also one of the most competitive. For that reason, I interview each week fashion professionals at different stages of the career in order to decode their best practices, tactics and strategies. My hope for you is that you will find in this conversation some inspiration and insights that will help you build your professional journey in the world of fashion and luxury. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most important challenges that our industry has to face, sustainability. And when I thought about this topic, the first person I wanted to talk to was Esther Vanneker. Esther is one of my former students and I have helped her design her path into our industry. And from day one, what has always surprises me was her passion and dedication for sustainability. Every time she talked about it, she was vibrant and full of energy. That's why I was not surprised a few months later in barely graduate, she announced that her first research paper on durability was published in a very well-known scientific journal and that she was starting to work inside caring sustainability department. Sustainability being such a new topic in our industry, the career path to work inside those kind of departments are still not very clear. This is why I wanted to take this opportunity to chat with Esther and better understand what were the steps that she has taken so far and what advice she could provide for those who want to do the same. In this episode, you will learn about how Esther used her design background as a stepping stone to tackle sustainability issues, her vision about sustainability and how she tries to infuse it at all levels of the company, the story behind her first research paper on the dimensions of durability, and how to start building your own expertise in sustainability from scratch. I also invite you to take a moment to look at the show notes because Esther was kind enough to share with us a large diversity of resources from documentaries, book, website, and research papers. And with no further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Esther Banneker. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. So don't be shy, hit those five stars and show us some love in the comment section. So how are you, Esther? So good to see you. I am really good. Thank you, Luca. And thank you for having me on uh, your podcast. It's a pleasure. 
You're welcome. I'm so happy to to have you. We were talking uh, before the, the the beginning of the podcast about your your journey, and I was looking back at it uh, on LinkedIn. And you come from Belgium. You study a little bit in London, then did your master in Paris. You had experience at Acne, Driesman, nothing, and now you are at Caring. Quite a, 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 a journey. That's why yes, I was really exactly. happy to to have you to have you here. And uh, and before you tell us all about uh, about it, uh, the thing that and correct me if I'm wrong, like the red thread of all of that, it's sustainability. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of your, the, your your main theme. And so, can you tell us a little bit more about like how this journey between fashion and sustainability started for you? Is it something that started uh, when you were young or a kid? When when was the the beginning of that that journey? Um, it's a question some people have. Quite a lot of people have asked me like, have you always been this sustainable? I think it's a combination of factors. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a family where sustainability. Um, was part of our daily activities, maybe not in the literal sense, but I was raised without eating meat. We were always focusing on uh, not buying many things, but qualitative things, taking care of what we have, repairing what we have. Uh, My parents were always buying organic food, local brands, Belgian brands. So I sometimes call them like hippies uh, a bit. But uh, although they don't look like that, but they do have, they're very engaged about it. And then it's always been uh, something that that really concerned me. And I remember when we were watching documentaries in school about climate change or or the fact that the world was going to end, it was something that kept me awake. I was coming home, almost crying, asking my mom. I heard that the end, the world is going to end. What's going on? So it was always something that kept me busy. And throughout my bachelor degree, in Belgium, we were already introduced to some concepts like eco-design, cradle-to-cradle. So already there, I thought it was interesting to think of how can we make products that are more sustainable. And immediately, I also understood it was very challenging. Even if we wanted to look at companies who offer alternatives, it was clear that it was even uh, either super expensive or it was in development or it was not accessible. And then throughout my internship and throughout experiences in the industry, I was literally confronted with the wastefulness of it. And more and more, um, I started looking into uh, sustainability, resources, podcasts, books, classes. And then uh, I had the luck of, of being part of the sustainability certificate of the IFM and Caring Sustainability Chair and uh, guided by Andréanne Lemieux. And there, uh, through weekly courses, we went through different topics from regenerative culture to uh, packaging to fashion shows. And I started working closely together with her. And that's really, I think, where everything started to accelerate. And there was this moment or this click where I was like, okay, I have this passion for fashion, but I don't want to be a part of the industry if I'm not part of, of, of the of the change and of the positive change. So that's my motivation. And that's what's uh, been driving me for the past, yeah, three, four years, I would say. Okay, amazing. So many uh, different roles that we can take. Um, I would like to maybe go back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. When that uh, like passion for fashion started, do you remember what the, 
Let's say the ignition um, that inspired you. I, I do. I, it's, um, I think it was one of those professions. I wanted to be a fashion designer where someone, they wants to be a firefighter when they're six or seven. I was always drawing. I had these little books with mannequins. Um, apparently when I was three or four, I already decided what I wanted to wear and my mom had no say in it. So, um, that was already a very, very clear <laughs> fashion statement. I think she saved me from a few catastrophic choices as a four-year-old but still I was very decisive and I re really clearly knew what I did or did not want to wear and uh, my grandmother she's really good at sewing and when I was 10 um, I got my first sewing machine um, as a birthday gift and then together with my grandmother I started to learn the basics and from there on I kept developing my my sewing skills and started making my own clothes and I'm still doing that today I'm still mending, repairing, and upcycling my own clothes. And for me, it's really a, a way to, yeah, almost a sort of meditation. It's great. And I also think it's really helpful for me to have this technical knowledge and to part of the industry, even if I'm not anymore, or if I won't be on the design side, but at least understand how garments are made. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Makes make sense. Really, like... Uh... The dream was to really make fashion and create. Uh, exactly. But that yeah. was also, and that links to what you are, are working on is because I, as a child, I had this idea that fashion designer was someone at a desk drawing clothes. So I had no idea about all of the other positions that were in the industry. And it was actually very hard or it took very long for me to discover that and to discover all the different roles I could play uh, within a fashion company. Yeah, that's a, an excellent point. And, and we will go back to, to that, uh, the different type of roles that mm, exist uh, today in, in, in fashion. And if we continue on your journey to become a fashion designer, so how did you kind of choose your, your path, your school, and what did you kind of learn over there? So I first cho chose to go for a rather technical degree in Belgium. Um, it's fashion technology. It's a, a bachelor that is actually really focused on how is a product made from the start to the end. So we had a lot of classes on textiles, on cotton. We did labs. So we were looking with a microscope uh, to different fibers. How can you recognize a synthetic fiber? If you burn it, what does it smell like? And I loved it because it's, it's super interesting to see, okay, we start with this little cotton plant and we end up with this beautifully printed fabric. So what are all the steps and then furthermore okay we have this fabric how is this turned into a garment through pattern making prototyping adapting fittings and eventually production so for me that was uh, super interesting but i always had um a very big interest in the creative side and that's i got the opportunity to do an exchange and i went to london college of fashion and there I did um, a semester of fashion design. And that was super, super helpful because I was able to be part of the module on research. How is fashion, um, how are, is research done for new collection? Um, how are we looking at art or other sources, previous collections? What type of research exists and how do we really take from this research ideas for silhouettes and, and construct silhouettes. So I think it, it went perfectly hand in hand because I had to sew uh, prototypes, but I already had the technical knowledge from my previous degree and I could really focus on the creative aspect. And uh, it's super challenging. I loved it, but it was uh, a lot of hard work and especially because creativity, you cannot just turn it on. So even though if I would have a free afternoon, 
if there was no inspiration, it would suddenly come in the evening or at midnight and I would end up working super late. Um, but that was also a part of the journey and, and, and super interesting uh, to, to know and, and to better understand the, the industry. That's a, an excellent point about creativity that is not on demand. It's a, Unfortunately, it's a no, yeah. <laughs> it, it is not. If you had to maybe summarize, what does it mean to do research for a collection? What are the steps or how is the, the process? If you... So for me, um, the biggest uh, mindset change was that you're actually not looking that much at fashion or at least not at the start. Um, what I really retained from it was, okay, we're going to look at everything but fashion. And when you brought a fashion reference to the first brainstorms, your teacher was really like, no, we're not looking at fashion. We're looking at everything around you. We're looking at feelings, sentiments, memories. Uh, you walk in the street, a certain plant, nature, art, books, uh, literature. It can be a quote. It can be a sound. And that was also part of the challenge. You bring sources of inspirations, but they need to be of a different format. I want three pictures, three uh, drawings. I want um, a music uh, song. I want an artwork. And that was for me the, the biggest mindset change. Okay, actually, there's inspiration in everything. Um, and research can come from all sources. And um, at the moments that you tell yourself to wind down and to relax, always the moments where you find something. When you decide to just walk around in the city without you know, thinking of your research or of your work, that's the moment when you see something on the street or you see a certain color pattern or a cloud or something super random and, and it triggers you to make you think of, okay, I read this in a book and I saw this movie and etc. So I think it's about uh, not looking at fashion actually, con contradictory, and also trying to make connections uh, between different things you see. Okay, that's, that, that's great because when we start in fashion, we are all passionate about this industry, but the the creativity that we need is from everywhere. So it's exactly, a really exactly. good a, a, a advice to kind of open up our world and, and see what we can what bring to our to our industry. Mm -hmm. um, is uh, that kind of process, creative process, in any way? Um, how do you say, inspire you today? Or are you able to transfer that in any way, maybe in what you do today or in your daily life? Um, in my daily life, yes, because I think I approach sustainability as a very holistic concept as well. And in a lot of my conversations I have with my friends, I would say something like, oh, this is not sustainable. And then they look at me like, oh, why do you say this? And it can be, for example, a certain type of personal relationship or um, something I don't know I find too expensive or a way someone is treated or uh, it's like I just say it's not sustainable because for me it's it's not just you cannot isolate it and you cannot just think in silos and I think that's a bit the issue now that uh, sustainability is isolated from all the rest while actually it should be implemented in everything and although every brand should need someone focused on sustainability if you work in PR there are a lot of questions about sustainability how will I ship my garments uh, how, what does the costing look like what models do I do or use how do we treat the models how do we pay the models but the same goes to merchandising packaging windows display it's everywhere so that's really my approach in my personal life as well that I look for inspiration on sustainability and everything, and I can see something not sustainable or, or see something that does not fit in within a sustainable title, but still try to implement it within 
because I have this a holistic approach of it or holistic view. Yeah. The, the way I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, I see sustainability like technology. It's everywhere, mm -hmm. it's diffused everywhere, and at the end of the day, there is no one part of the industry or job that's not like you know disrupted or enhanced or improved mm -hmm. in some way thanks to technology and it doesn't work in silos any, anymore so no i agree i think it's really it. interesting but the only thing i think is that at the moment technology is more seen as a service and as something that helps you and unfortunately mm -hmm. i feel that sustainability is still seen as a burden and as a threat and as a restriction especially on design when you talk about sustainable design or eco design i think a lot of designers are like oh no i can't do anything anymore or i cannot do this 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 and that's a shame i think but it's true we're all impacted by it and it's everywhere um, but i do hope it gets more of this um, appeal as technology does as it, it helps us and it makes us move forward yeah probably when we have some tech, like you know disruptive technology arriving at the beginning people thought about it as right. something bad for their jobs or the way of I life think so, yeah. i'm sure and, uh, and through time it became something like so embedded in the day-to-day that we don't see the, the threat anymore. It's almost no. quite the opposite. We can yeah. disconnect <laughs> exactly. in, in, in some way. So if we continue on your, on your journey, so you discover that creative process in, in, in London, and how did you choose to kind of uh, continue your, your experiences? Did you work a little bit before going to a master? What, what did you do? So I uh, was six months in London and then afterwards I did my uh, internship to finish my bachelor degree and I had the opportunity to work at Acne Studios and there I was part of the product development department for outerwear and tailoring for women. So all coats, suits, blazers and any garment that's a bit more in a rougher outerwear fabric. And basically, my day-to-day my -day tasks were assisting my manager, who was uh, the product manager. I was helping a lot with the creation of the bill of materials, uh, picking all the trims and the um, lining to send to the factory so they could make a prototype. And then once this prototype was made, uh, I was assisting in the fittings, uh, which was a constant interaction between pattern making team, designer, product development and production to see um, how the product can be optimized, what should be changed about the fit. What I thought was amazing about product development is that you your first meeting is really with the designer and the designer has a drawing, I want this jacket, and your last uh, deliverable is a finished garment that can go to production. So this whole transformation process is really interesting. And I work together with the design team, with the textile team, with the pattern making team, with the product development team, with the production team, with the quality team, any team possible. And I, I loved it because you were in connection with the whole company. Uh, it was super engaging and I learned so much. It was really uh, a great, great experience and it fits it perfectly with my background uh, and my technical background, which was really helpful when I was in fittings to understand where issues were and to kind of help uh, help the teams with optimizing the garments. And uh, what would you say are the the realities you encounter during between what you learn at school and what you see uh, at uh, in a studio or in a product development position? 
Um, I actually was really satisfied with my degree because I, I feel like the fact that we learned so much from start to end, I really knew a lot about many different parts. So that was really helpful. Um, I think uh, things that are running through is communication. When you do a group work in school, communication is key and the implication of everyone. And it's exactly the same in a company where there are so many departments and so many people that touch one product that a small error and it can be one millimeter or one little number that is wrongly written in a pattern or in an email that can cause very big issues um, and also language barriers. Uh, you're always working in, in, in fashion with so many different cultures and so many different backgrounds. And although English seems to be the, the language that is used, it's often not a mother tongue and there's miscommunications and email and Communication, communication, that's one of the first things I learned. And always put your manager in CC. <laughs> that's <laughs> always very important as well, or that causes issues. So those things uh, were important. I love it. Always put your manager <laughs> in CC. That's a, yeah. that's a good one, especially yeah. uh, early on. Yes, yeah. still use it today. Always put your manager in CC. <laughs> yeah. Now, I like what you say about communication, because it's always something that we... we never talked about but at the end of the day we can be the best designer the best product manager but if we are not able to communicate with the different type of positions the different type of uh, you know nationalities and uh, and really like being clear about what we what we need nothing gonna happen that's why interpersonal relationships are so important understand the profile of the people in front of you what are they need as well, mm. it's super uh, important. And, and that's something that you don't learn too much, but at least not officially at school, except mm. in the, the project, you know, the group project you talk about. But sometimes we see that as a constraint, when in reality, that's exactly the future jobs that you're gonna do. It's exactly the same the same way, just on a, on a project for school, but the dynamic, the difficulties is gonna be the, the, the same. Mm -hmm. I and it was challenging. Good. It's interesting what you said, like, yeah, everybody also has a different vision. And it was interesting to a designer communicates completely different than a, a product developer and a pattern maker and where a pattern maker is super rational and precise. A designer can sometimes be confused and have a hard time defining if he wants a button that is 15 millimeters or 13 millimeters. But then the product developer has a budget to obtain and then they are like, okay, we cannot take these buttons because they're too expensive. But the designer wants those buttons. So it's a constant back and forth. And I think that was really interesting to also see how can you work together with these different profiles and how can we collaborate to end up with a product that makes everybody happy. Um, and I think it's an extension of the group work, but what is maybe helpful within a company that everybody does have a role and in a group work, when you're equals and students, it's it's different and it's harder to define who does what. And it's kind of, I mean, yeah, sometimes more challenging to get a structure yeah. and to make sure that you're all aligned. Okay. Uh, it's something I, I remember learning from school as well. It's like what I call the language of every job. And mm -hmm. they, as you said, like not every person in the job speak the same language, even though we are talking in English or talking about the same specific product, we're not talking the same language and it's mm -hmm. super hard. And especially in our, let's say, 
industry that goes so fast and people are so passionate about what they do, it's easy to create like conflict, misunderstanding, frustration. So there's a lot of work to me. We have to do on ourselves to to be able like to to com- complete the, the the project sometimes. Exactly. So yeah, communication is key, as you said. It is key. Yeah, and from there, so from Acne, how did you decide to to continue your your studies? Why why not continue working? Um, that was actually uh, the universe and the COVID crisis, I guess that we all uh, remember. And when I was there, the first lockdown hit. Um, so I decided to stay and, um, it was clear that the company was not in a position to hire me, although there was interest. And although I I would have loved to stay because I had a bachelor degree, um, I loved the team. I loved what I was doing. Um, so I started to think of alternatives and I always loved school and I loved learning. I was only 21. So I did think, okay, I can still maybe, uh, deepen my knowledge and go for a master, but I did not want to do a master in design. Um, I really wanted to do something, uh, with sustainability or more on the management side, something I hadn't done yet. And I already knew, uh, Institut Français de la Mode in Paris. And then very last minute, like the last possible moment, I did my application and the school was already closed. I had to wait. And then I was admitted two weeks before I had to start classes in Paris. So it was a very quick move to Paris, find apartment, everything changed my life. But uh, I'm super happy with the choice. And I'm I'm really, really, really grateful that I was able to to do this degree. Yeah, and where were you at that at that moment when you had to move to to Paris? Where were you? So I I was home for like I think three weeks from Stockholm and Belgium, and then uh, there was a process. I had my interviews. I was kind of resting from my internship. Then the interviews. I got the news, and then I got the opportunity to actually work backstage for Acne in the fashion show in Paris. And then uh, two weeks after my classes started. So I actually, it was nice. I came to Paris working in a fashion show. That's kind of the fashion dream for this very nice company. And also on the collection that I helped develop. So that was really great to really see, okay, I saw the starting meetings and I see the the end result. I was surrounded by my team. So it was a great way to ease my way in. The show was in Le Grand Palais. So a very iconic location. So it was really amazing. And then I started my classes in October um at ifm it's, uh, it's almost they, they deliver you to the school after the, exactly the... exactly a very emily in paris scenario i would say <laughs> and and what, what did you learn during that uh, fashion week because it's one thing to develop a collection and then you have that unique <laughs> moment so how was it it was amazing it was very intense um it was still kind of half COVID, so a bit hybrid there were some guests but not the normal amount but um you can feel that the stakes are very high for the design team and it's really for them the final step okay we have our designs but they're still in doubt and last minute there's changes and models and this and that and they're looking at every single detail Um, but also for them it's still about okay but how will we kind of um show this design and how will we kind of translate it into a show and and make sure that the people get it and i think that was interesting to see and it's a very nice atmosphere there's a rush there's like a moment everybody comes together the show is almost going to start everybody has their own model dressing checking the bag the accessory the hair and i think that's really nice to see how everyone is coming together and there's like a common goal 
which is the collection. And then once it's done, the relief, the 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 the, the party, or just like the fact of celebrating together that it turned out well. Um, I think that was really great to be a part of. Yeah, it's it's a, a unique energy. Does a uh, yeah, fashion weeks. exactly. If you had to to give maybe one or two advice to people who want to work maybe backstage uh, on a a show, what would it be? Um, Agility. Don't think that you know what you're going to do because you don't. (laughs) And every day is different. And you also don't know how long your days will last. There was days that are lasted till two or three in the morning. And another day you leave at six in the evening and you're like, okay, perfect. So that I would say um and i would just say like bring your energy like be energetic be optimistic be happy because it's a stressful environment people are not always at their best people are stressed and they will maybe not be their friendliest don't take it personal and just try to help work towards a common goal of of delivering a great show excellent it's true agility you never know what's going to happen. It no, could be no. a mess. There's always a fashion disaster at one point. Always. Is it with an iron, with a steamer, or with something that was not shipped by someone? You always have to be prepared. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we could write a book about that, those, those mess, those I fashion think, catastrophes. Um, I think many interns have many interesting stories about shipments and and fashion shows and interesting tasks that they have to deliver during a fashion week so uh, yeah i also have a few of those that's great (laughs) (laughs) and um and what did you learn after in the 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 ifm what was kind of the the main takeaways uh, uh, for you um the main takeaways for me were more uh working on the product level so i learned a lot about how do we develop a product but then how do we sell this product how is this put into the market brand image, brand management. So really the the final parts, customer service, customer experience, which I found super interesting and just a bit better understanding the luxury part of the industry, because that's not Mm. something I was familiar with. It's also not very present in Belgium. I'm very proud of the Belgian fashion scene. We have a few very good brands, but all the big fashion shows do happen in Paris and the fashion brands from Belgium, they do go to, to Paris to, to, for the fashion week so this whole luxury heritage the the french culture also around it it's very interesting um and i think that was for me um, really a deep dive into the luxury industry and what it means and also go beyond garments i think it was interesting to be introduced to jewelry to watches to perfumes and all the heritage and craftsmanship that that comes with that so uh, that was yeah for me the key takeaway Okay, so that that's great. I like what you touch talk about the luxury per se because we always mix fashion and luxury kind of in the same industry. That even though they are part of something more global, they have different type of uh, culture. They don't mean the same thing. They it's not the same price point, the same type of your product, mm-hmm. even the same function socially. Uh, they they are really different, but they are complementary and they, it's a permanent dialogue between the. The, the, those two and the different categories of product where they can a, a express. So it's a, it's a really good one. And in all of that, where is like sustainability in your, in your journey? Yeah, did you, did you start it like acne or before or let's say more the fashion sustainability interest? When did it start it? So, um, as mentioned before, throughout my bachelor, uh, we already had courses on sustainability from the start. And we also had our biggest project was uh, to develop 
a, a startup or a new concept, but it had to be sustainable. So throughout the whole year already, I was really through a part theoretical classes and a big part in a group practical. Uh, we developed a sustainable product. We looked for sustainable textile certifications, sustainable labeling. So already we had this whole product process and I encountered, okay, okay, these are a lot of complications. It's not that easy. Um, and then at Acne, although I loved what I was doing, I had a lot of issues with the wastefulness and this is not one particular thing for Acne Studios. It's it's just in general, the industry that I just came across that there's a lot of waste and it, this comes in the number of prototypes that have to be made or the number of trips that have to be made, the mistakes that cause things to go wrong with leftovers. Um, and um, I explored for my bachelor thesis throughout uh, my internship, actually the opportunities for luxury brands to implement a rental service. And this was actually my first a very deep dive into okay rental alternative business models i was looking at h&m for example who was offering a rental service for a limited number of their pieces i was looking at rent a runway at gani who started implementing it and i think there really my interest got got sparked even more to really go into this research and 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 to really better understand one aspect of it and then on arriving in IFM, they just launched their sustainability certificate with Kering. And uh, that was the first day, the presentation that we got. And immediately was like, I need to do that. And I remember I was walking home. I called my parents. Yeah, how was your first day? Yeah, it was amazing. And they just launched this sustainability certificate and I have to do it. And, and, and I went, okay, 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 okay. So I did my application. I waited, I did an interview and I got in. And for me, that was really uh, the a whole new world opened because every week, uh, two hours on top of normal classes, we had a class on sustainability. And on top of that, we had a contribution project uh, by which I really worked closely together with Andrea. Um, and I, yeah, I, I learned so much from it, again, by having theoretical classes and trying to implement this in, in a practical case study for a nonprofit organization. Okay. And what was the kind of the, the project, the contribution project? What was the, um, it was a very, or it is a very nice project because they still exist. It's called, um, Renaissance and, uh, Renaissance is a nonprofit that is working on upcycling, but on a haute couture level. So it's founder actually used to work, um, at Jean Pocotier and they are actually, um, working with people from diverse backgrounds, but often from difficult social situations. I think some people used to be in prison. There are immigrants or refugees and they are finding their way in the French society and they want to actually help them with level yeah, French, but also really teaching them um, the high craft of, of sewing. So really craftsmanship of sewing, but with an approach to upcycling. So they learn all these methods by hand. And from the start to the end, their end delivery is actually a garment, an upcycled garment made from a donated garment. So they start all with, it can be a suit, a vintage suit, a vintage uh, evening gown. And at the end of their nine, nine month education, they have a completely new upcycled garment and all these skills that then actually help them uh, on the market because there's a real loss of craftsmanship and a lot of companies struggle to find people, uh, les petits mains, who can still actually make things and who know all the savoir-faire of couture. So having this in an association combined with upcycling 
is uh, quite amazing. So we help them develop a business model to look at how we can actually scale upcycling and how it can be um, a service for companies because this is still an issue. Upcycling means, you know, you take a garment and you turn it into something new, but it's very hard to standardize. And that's the reason why a lot of companies still don't do it on a bigger scale. So we help them to kind of dismantle this issue and see how they could expand their service to a bit a bigger market. Yeah. Okay, so really uh, specific uh, on a niche, yeah. but uh, try to, okay, how to make it like uh, more like uh, exactly. useful, yeah, and uh, at least useful for the, the fashion brands right away. Mm -hmm. That's that's great. And from the, the IFM, what did you do uh, any type of internship after Acne, or how was it? Um, yes, yeah, so I then I did a two-year uh, program. So I did um, the international luxury and uh, fashion management program, and so uh, we had to do after the first year a retail internship because they find it super important that we also understand that part of the industry. Uh, because of COVID, uh, was a bit opened up because many stores were not taking any interns. I ended up at uh, Dries van Noten in Antwerp in, in Belgium. And uh, I had the opportunity to actually do uh, two months at the headquarter and one month in the store. So that was actually interesting. I was part of the sales team and they had their showroom for the new collection. So it was a completely different side. I had never done anything like it, but I think I really like to do different departments because then you kind of understand better uh, how it works. And I also had some missions on sustainability that I was working on for them. And then in the store, um, I was in store helping also in the warehouse because it was end of sale, start of new collection. And then I was, uh, what was really nice, I was working with the, the, their own tailor. They have a tailor in-house to adapt the suits and to adapt the garments. And I was helping her a lot uh, with uh, doing adjustments, so alterations, which was great for me. And she had such an amazing knowledge. Uh, incredible. I was writing down so many things and she really uh, helped me to better understand how it works to do alterations. And it's really a craft on its own. It's not valued enough. Doing alterations is really complicated. And for example, if a, a suit had to be changed, the sleeve had to be changed. And I think uh, it was more than three centimeters that meant the sleeve length. That meant because the buttonholes were already there, that the whole sleeve had to be taken out and she had to make a new pattern and readjust the head of the shoulder and really put it in. But then the jacket is lined, it has padding, it has all these parts. So you just ask for, can you shorten my sleeve for centimeters? But behind there's so much craftsmanship to take it apart and to reconstruct it uh, that I was really amazed at how she uh, how she did it. And I, I learned a lot because when you take apart a garment, you also see uh, much more and it's really interesting. But you have to make sure you can put it together again. Yeah. So <laughs> luckily she was able to. But yeah, that was really great. So that was um my first internship and then I had my second year of classes and then we all have to do our end of master uh, internship for six months and that's what I'm doing now so I'm currently at Kering uh, to to complete my master okay 
And, and what do you do exactly at, at Caring? Are you more in the sustainable part? In which department are, are you? Yeah, so I for sure before any internship, I needed to, I mean, before any choice was made, I knew it was going to be sustainability. And at Caring, um, I am working in the sustainable development department. Uh, specifically, my manager is in charge of circularity and environmental excellence, which means everything regarding buildings and green energy, uh, sobriety. And uh, I think it's really interesting actually to be at a group level because it's way more the bigger strategy and you have more of a consulting role and you're quite far away from the product. And I think it's interesting because I hadn't experienced that before. And you do, you are in contact with all of the brands and Caring has really cool brands. So Gucci, Balenciaga, Saint Laurent, Bottega Veneta. So it's really cool to know that you're working kind of for them, but then also on a group level. Um, and it's been really interesting to understand the dynamics between the brands within the group. Um, and yeah, I've been there now for two months and a half and I've really uh, learned a lot, a lot, a lot. It's been a great experience. I imagine, especially that you said that you were more focused on the product and exactly. the development, and now you even have to learn about buildings and sobriety. So it's yeah. really like a, that's one of the things that we don't think sometimes about sustainability, that no, it starts just to, with the buildings. Exactly. Yeah. It starts with the buildings. I'm not super included in that part, but I hear some projects that my manager is working on, which are super interesting. But also when it comes to I'm the product, because we define strategies, for example, on circularity, and we have a circularity ambition of which the product is part, but it's quite far away. And it's interesting to see how how this happens and how it actually really influences in the end how products will be made. But you're still at a distance. So it's very weird that way, but it's also really interesting to see how brands interpret it because all the houses have a different DNA as well. So that has to be taken into consideration that a Gucci will not do it the same way as a Balenciaga. But behind all of that, we do want them to, to attain the same KPIs and the same goals. Yeah. And because you are the group level, who are your the people you talk to inside the brand? They, do they have a, a chief sustainable officer inside every mm -hmm. brand? Yeah. So at Caring, every brand now has a, its own sustainability team. So the Caring team at the Caring level sustainability, I think, uh, were 30, 30, 35, which is very big. Um, mm -hmm. It's very unusual to have such a big sustainability team and then within every brand it differs but it it goes from two to five or six people i would say that are in charge of sustainability so any projects that we communicate most often it's direct on contact with the sustainability department but when there are questions about a legal uh, legislation regulation, or packaging sometimes this will also go to a legal department product development or merchandising so it depends but to yeah there's always a csr um, that's kind of the the key point of contact yeah that's uh, amazing so many like uh different people to, to, to talk to. Exactly. And um, if you if you had to kind of think about like uh, maybe some resources or advice or places to kind of uh, start or journey about sustainability, what would you kind of recommend for somebody who is maybe still uh, uh, at school or studying or that want to be involved more in that? What would you recommend for them? 
Uh, I find that a super difficult question because it's uh, it's such a big topic. And when people ask me, oh yeah, where do I start? I'm like, oof, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. I think the main thing is the mindset change in the sense that you should be curious. So I think that's a really important thing. Be curious and look for information. I think most of the information I got or knowledge I obtained was just by being curious and by interesting myself in, okay, I read this article on the business of fashion because actually the business of fashion has many great articles if you want to start somewhere on sustainability. And they always have recommended articles. And in these articles, there's always so many different um, resources that you can then um, look at and then this one resource leads you to another but if I would have to give some concrete advice I think um, the different podcast The Wardrobe Crisis by Claire Press is a very good one she was the first sustainability editor for Vogue and she has now more than 120 episodes on sustainability in fashion which are super interesting they go from garment rights to recycled polyester um, to digital fashion so I highly recommend it because it's very easy to understand um, and then uh, Fashion Revolution is a great NGO that was founded and they have a free online course on uh, the sustainable development goals by the United Nations that is um, available online you can find it on their website um, and it's uh, free for all and I think that's a great uh, resource because it's a really a big outline of the supply chain of the industry linked to the sustainable development goals and within it you have a lot of articles and resources to delve deeper and it's quite interactive it's accessible you can do it at your own pace and i think it's a great starting base also for yourself to kind of see okay i'm more interested in innovation i'm more interested in the social side and from there you can can keep going because first i mean it's personal sustainability and you always have topics that captivate you more and a different way to approach it. So yeah, but I think those two are already a, a great start. Yeah, we will put them in the in the show yes, notes. Exactly. I will provide the, the links to the resources for sure. Quick announcement before we jump back into a conversation. Working in our industry is such a thrilling experience. We have a worldwide cultural impact. We help bring to life amazing products and customer experiences. And there is always something new to discover and no time to get bored. However, sometimes such intensity does not make easy to take a step back and we lose sight of what really matters to us. Sometimes, in the heat of action, we forget to reflect on our journey so far and to think about where we are heading to with our life and career. That's what coaching is for. It offers you a dedicated moment to think and strategize about type of career you want to build, the kind of leader you want to be, and the type of changes you want to implement. To work in an industry is to thrive for excellence. And that starts by you being able to perform at your best. So if lately you have been feeling overwhelmed or unable to think clearly, lacking motivation and seeing your performance decrease, or simply that you are at a crossroad in your career and wants to get to the next level in terms of management and responsibilities. Please reach out and let's talk about how we can work together. As a certified coach, I will help you ask yourself the right questions, design powerful strategies to reach out your goals and get clarity on your priorities. 
contact me on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards and let's talk during a 30-minute complimentary meal. And now let's dive back into our conversation. And now the, the next question, it's uh, more about like, what do you see yourself going after, after that, now that you have seen like, you know, product that you, you study and had like, uh, you know, projects on the sides. Now you are in the group level. What do you see yourself going in the, in the future? What kind of are uh, your interests? Uh, it's a difficult question for me because I have so many different interests and I feel like there are so many things that I would love to do, but at the moment, and I think that's also hmm, how to say it. Firstly, it, I think it's a mindset change for me already that I don't have to have the same job all my life. And I already know it's going to change and that's okay. Before I was way more, okay. I'm going to do product development and I'm going to work my way up and I'm going to be a product developer for the rest of my life. Because sustainability is such a broad spectrum and there's so many different parts that interest me from working closer with designers on eco design to traceability to circularity to durability. I know that I can kind of gravitate between those. And what I've been really enjoying in my role at um, Caring is this consulting site that you're actually guiding companies or brands and you're helping with their strategy. And it's often um, on a shorter notice, you have a specific projects you work on. And I think that's really interesting because you get uh, confronted with different issues and different questions. Then you delve deep into the topic, you find solutions and then they implement it and you move to something else. So I think this is something I want to consider for my future is taking on this consulting role or within a company or outside of a company that I can kind of get all these different experiences and, and learn from it. And in this kind of new role as consulting, what are the skills that you have uh, developed that you didn't have uh, before? Um, I think there's also first what I mentioned before, agility. So that's very important to be able to adapt communication is really important and also it's different because you're working with a client so it's really interesting to to see how this is done you need to be very professional but you need to be clear you need to put boundaries and it's interesting to be on the brand side and to work with consultants or as a group for example but also to be on the side that you are the consultant so kind of these dynamics i think it's really cool to be on both sides and to see okay if i'm a consultant i should think of that and if i'm addressing a consultant i should think of that um and then i uh, what is challenging though also is, is timelines and 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 respecting deadlines and really trying to answer the need of the company uh, but that is really the, the communication is key because a misunderstanding can mean that you invest your time in something that he or she or, or they did not want. And uh, yeah, then uh, it can end up wrongly. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting, this dynamic and, and this collaboration. And it's also good, I think, with to work with people outside of a company because they have a different view. And sometimes when you're all too much working together and you look at it from the same angle, you don't get the solutions you need. So I think there's a really high value in, in, in consulting external experts. Yeah, those are great one. The way to talk to different kind of people is true. It's really different according where you are and which position. Exactly. And um and, and you yourself as a as an intern at the at the moment or even in the in the past, 
what would you say are the, the qualities that uh, companies are looking for? Because so many students want to work in sustainability, but sometimes it's kind of hard to, because as you say, it's embedded mm -hmm. everywhere in the company. It's kind of hard to understand what the, are the skills needed to work in those type of uh, uh, teams. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people that have talked to me, they get kind of stuck on this. I don't have any experience in sustainability or I did not do a sustainability degree. I don't think you should get stuck on that. Um, in the end, uh, I also, I mean, I was lucky to do the certificate, but my master was not specialized in sustainability. And it's such an evolving topic that there's just not that many relevant degrees or masters yet. So I think if... Um, you really want to work in sustainability, it's important to show this curiosity you have and to show, okay, on a personal basis, on by myself, I engaged in this or I did that or I, I followed an online course. There are so many online resources, so many books that can help you inform about what can be done. And I think if you're in a solicitation um, or, or you have your interview that you really can, can show and the manager will tell, uh, will be able to see if you are able to, to, to work or if you have this curiosity. And a lot of people in sustainability departments have an atypical profile and they come from marketing or they come from uh, PR and they're just, they're interested by it and they, for, they did an extra degree on it. So I think um, the main advice is to not be scared and to show with your profile, with your personal interests, with your lifestyle, that sustainability is important to you and um, you are able to implement it in, in your professional uh, roles as well. Yeah, that's an interesting one, uh, that there is no specific way to go there, mm -hmm. so there is no specific skills that you can acquire, but uh, there is that rise in certification online that I think it's a, it's a, good, uh, a good point, uh, and it's true in so many other uh, aspects beyond uh, sustainability, so I think it's great. Um, something that we haven't uh, talked about and you haven't mentioned that I think is really unique to you is that you also started research mm -hmm. on sustainability. So tell us a little bit more about that and what, what have you done so, so far on that topic? So um, I, I studied two years at IFM. So after my first year of the certificate, I still have one more year, but I really wanted to continue working closely uh, with Andrean. And on the topic, so we were talking and she proposed me to actually do some research on durability of garments. And um, I thought by myself, why not? Let's give it a try. So she sent me some papers and she also told me, Hester, let me know if it's nothing for you. We'll see. And I got super into it. I started reading so many papers. I ended up reading like 50 articles on durability and I was taking all these notes and making a summary and, and going from like trying to find connections and okay, this means this. So what can this, uh, how can this be helpful for a future strategy? And so I'm talked, I was talking about it with, with Andrean and she told me, okay, actually there's really the opportunity here for an article. Uh, to be honest, I was not sure what a scientific article was. She told me to do a literature review. Not sure what a literature review was. Uh, I had to do scientific writing. Hmm, question mark as well. Not a native English speaker. How will this go? But I just went with it and it went very organically, very naturally from a very messy word talk with some extracts to eventually um, an article that got published in a really highly noted 
um, online journal for sustainability. Um, it took a year, but I think it's great it took this long of a time because it was really a way for me to progress, to evolve. And um, it was a process, but it was a long journey, but uh, one that in the end really delivered with a great result. I, I have the first publication. I've been consulted quite a lot actually about it. People are interested by what I wrote. And um, it's been able also to help me in the work that I'm doing now in my internship. So actually it's been a great way to kind of develop an expertise on a topic that is still emerging within the industry which kind of also set me, sets me apart and, and gives me advantages um, as well. Yeah, um, amazing. I love that you are so really honest about that you enter there without knowing anything. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and that it, I realize now I that I did not know anything. At the start, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So uh, thank God I had a mentor, Andrian, who had a lot of experience. But actually, it's um, um, a little uh, spoiler. I just submitted my second article and I wrote this one in, in four weeks instead of a year. <laughs> and it was, from, yeah. From one year to four weeks yeah, now? Exactly. Wow, okay. okay. So one year, it was the whole process publication review. But I would say the previous yeah. one was like eight months. And now I wrote it in four and it's really because, I mean, I knew how to do scientific uh, writing now. I knew what sources to look at. I knew how to um, how to make the links. And I had a very clear idea as well about the topic I wanted to write on. And it's a topic I'm super passionate about. So I just wrote it. I sent my first draft. I got some remarks, but it was from the start, like, really, it just made sense. And I think it's great to have had that whole uh, process like iterative process with the first one okay should we do this no not this feedback there let's go back let's try this and now to have clearer id and also personally have more confidence like okay it makes sense what i write i like this topic and this all helps with the process so i mean i i i, I was laughing at myself i was like making a joke okay there's a big difference i mean going from one year to a few weeks, but it's true that you have to write the first article to write the second one. So it's normal that, you know, I have to go through this yeah. process. And probably the research you have done uh, used also mm -hmm. in the next My second uh, article, one. But it's, true, it's, yeah, good it's a continuation of my first one. And it's nice okay. because I, my first one, I, I wrote on the different dimensions of durability and I was looking at it from a luxury perspective and trying to understand, okay, what is durability? What does it mean? And there's limitations to your research. And at the end of a research paper, you always mention limitations and perspectives. And now I jumped into one of those perspectives and I actually developed uh, further these alternative views and, and kind of expanded the scope. So I think that's also great that it's kind of nice to criticize your own work. And I, I kind of love to, I mean, I was citing myself in my second article, but I was also criticizing myself and I was criticizing what I did and telling, well, I was ignorant or I did not look at this source or I should have done that. And I think it's really great because it pushes you to go further and um, was interesting process. It was an interesting way to, to do it, but I'm, I'm really happy and I'm super proud of the, of the result for the second one. Um, uh Amazing app. So, so many questions <laughs> about that. I'm going to try to, 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 to go in order because I love the fact that you can criticize yourself mm. and kind of take a distance of, of, uh, that was me one year ago. Now I know this, I know that. So it's, it's really fun because we don't really have 
opportunities be no. in, let's say, real life to do that. So I imagine that's quite a process. But before we, we, we jump a little bit more on the, on the article, I just wanted to, to understand what, what do you think are the skills that you have acquired doing or learning about research that are, could be useful or transferable, let's say, in another type of uh, setting? Because it, it, it feels that you, it's so unique, so specific, but that there is probably like transferable skills in it, no? Um, I really further developed my concentration on like focusing on a document and just the skill of, of scanning a document kind of and kind of understanding what an article or a big paper is about in only, I would say, uh, five to ten minutes and already defining if it can be relevant or not. And I think that has been a very useful skill at caring because uh, fashion, we have a lot of reports. There's a lot of legislation. There's a lot of documents of 60 to 100, 200 pages, and we do not have the time to read all of them. So I've really been able to find a way for myself to kind of see, okay, this is about this and this is linked to that. And the fact that you read so much um, is really a great way to kind of form your own database of sustainability knowledge, like in your brain. And then every new document I see, I can kind of Put it in a folder together with other ones okay this is there and it is linked to this one or ah, i i already know this author so i kind of know his or her or they their point of view um and i think that's been really great it's really this analytical kind of brain that i further developed and that's been really really helpful and also just for me personally linguistic level my english uh, really improved because I had to write in a scientific manner and it had to be very uh, accurate and objective. And I think uh, that has been great. And also actually um, finding a way to connect all these statements and to see the links between different authors that say the same thing and to present it in an objective way. Because in scientific writing, you cannot say, I think that this, although sometimes I agree, or I disagree, but you really have to always do it in a way that it's scientific and that it's cited, you cite other people. And I think that was really interesting, especially in the fashion industry, because it's not really developed this scientific research and it's there's not a lot of legislation. There's a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of random claims that are made. So it's kind of exciting to be part of, of, of this spectrum of the industry to help create new knowledge and to help create more objective knowledge, I would say. Wow. Okay. So a lot of, uh, yeah, skills that you you have acquired. And what would you say, like for somebody who's at school or try to get into sustainability, would you recommend them to try to go read those uh, scientific papers? And if yes, where they could go find them or how they can kind of, uh, get their hands into it and start like uh, trying to acquire the, you know, the database you yeah. were talking about. But my first step and what I personally also did is I read a lot of sustainability reports of brands. So I just went to the website of Chloe, of Stella McCartney, but also of the LVMH brand, the caring brands. I downloaded their sustainability report and I just went through it. And I thought that was a very first uh, introduction into this more heavy literature often with numbers and statements and KPIs. And if I did not understand things, but maybe this is a Hester thing, I just send an email to the customer service and I just ask them all these questions. 
And if I didn't get a reply, I send another email. And most of the brands replied. And it was actually really interesting to engage in a conversation because I sometimes I read things. I was like, hmm, this does not make sense. How do you prove this statement? Where does this number come from? And I just asked them. And I think um, if they are able to answer and if they're willing to answer, for me, that's already a big indicator about their um, ambitions on sustainability. If the customer service is very brief, we cannot reply on this. Hmm. My, as you know, my rating, personal rating of certain brands went down a lot, while other brands surprised me and they're very open, open to share. So I think that's the first great way in. And then I can, of course, I can share also, we can share in the show notes, um, Web of Science, Science Direct, Scopus, MDPI. These are online databases. Some of them are openly accessible. Sustain, there's a very good one. From MDPI, it's called sustainability. It's all articles on sustainability that are open access. And there's on every possible topic, uh, they're starting to come paper. So it's a great way um, to start, but I think it's good to link it to a project. Imagine you're working uh, on the project and school on circularity and you want to think of circular business models. Maybe you can expand your scope of research to a scientific paper on it because it's 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 also how i started i started with a specific topic durability and that's how slowly but surely i got to kind of know uh how it works because just like that i think there's just uh, the web it's so uh, too many things are out there so it will be hard to navigate yourself yeah no that's a, a great uh, idea to as you said earlier focus on one topic Look for the yeah business of fashion or let's say like uh, like news mm-hmm. uh, outlets and complement with maybe the reports from brands and last step the the scientific reports to kind of really deepen your knowledge on that and and from there start building your your database slowly and slowly but not try to shoot too much at once. No, no. And I think it's uh, great to have different sources always. And to be honest, a great source that I haven't mentioned is the Ella MacArthur Foundation. They are leading the industry. They are the ones who developed a circular economy strategy for textiles. They have uh, guidelines for denim and they have so many great reports. So that's also really a great place to start and to find other resources. And it's quite accessible. Uh, but as yeah, I completely agree. I think you should try to complement uh, on a certain topic and try to complement it with different sources, uh, which is always a good idea anyway. If you if you want to work on on a project or a presentation, to kind of have different points of view. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's great. And if we go back to your article, you talk about like durability and different aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give us a little uh, summary of what does it mean or what are the, the key findings that you got? Yes, from? of course. So um, it actually, I mean, I just mentioned Ella MacArthur Foundation. So they have a, a strategy for circular economy. And one of the main pillars pillars is durability of products. So for fashion, this is garments and apparel um, and apparel and footwear. But it's actually we want to be able to keep products in use. And unfortunately, due to fast fashion, the the quality has been decreasing. And uh, this physical durability of a garment is not what it's used to be anymore. So even if people want to keep wearing it, a button falls off, it shrinks, the color goes off, the print is not well, so they cannot uh, keep wearing it and they throw it away, or if they could repair it, it's so cheap, they bought it for so cheap, it's more expensive to buy. So there's this notion of durability, but 
that they mention, but if you try to understand what it is, it's really hard to find a definition. So the idea was to do a literature review, which basically means trying to read as many articles as possible and take all those findings to kind of form a definition for durability. So that's what I did. Uh, but what was a bit particular for me is that uh, we actually developed a framework. So we developed a, a framework to analyze this literature to really make sure that we look at all the different dimensions throughout the whole life cycle of a product, meaning that you start at the design phase and you end with the end of life. So we really wanted to understand, okay, a durable garment, what does this mean um, when we design it, but also what does this mean in the distribution phase? Um, if you think of luxury, um, there's often a sales ceremony in store that is very unique and people are gonna remember it, it's personal. So when you sell a handbag, uh, the person is gonna take better care of the product because they have this personal connection with it which is also a link to durability. So th those are some things that we really want to take into consideration. And the main findings for us are that we have an intrinsic part and intrinsic it's the wear and tear. Okay, I can wear this blouse 20 times, but then it breaks or the zipper breaks or uh, I washed it and the color is not what it used to be. And then there's a whole part, which is very an exciting part, and there's not much research on it. It's extrinsic. So it's social, it is um, aesthetic, it is um, emotional, and it's more about, okay, fashion changes. Um, I used to have a pair of skinny jeans, but now all my friends are wearing flare jeans. So I cannot wear those skinny jeans anymore. Although physically, they're perfectly fine, but because everyone is wearing that other shape, I want to wear that shape as well. Um, so that's really interesting, but it's hard to quantify because it's personal, it's subjective, it depends from person to person. And um, we evaluated all those different aspects of a life cycle for both intrinsic and extrinsic dimension. Um, so actually it was for me a great way to, to really understand what literature exists from it. And um, the idea is to give a kind of a brief summary to people who read it. On, on, on what statements and what research are available. Amazing. Yeah, it's so many aspects of the durability. The, yeah. the psychological one, it's really unique. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And it's further developing and brands are really trying to understand how, how they can approach it and how we can create product attachments. Because the biggest statement or one of my favorite statements I found in the article is that a product can be as durable on a physical level as possible, but people still dispose of it. And why? So why do they still throw it away? Why do they still not want to wear it, although it's still perfect or sometimes even unworn? So there's, of course, bigger psychological questions there. But yeah, very interesting. Very interesting in the end. A very cool topic. Super happy uh, that I, I started or I did this article on it. Oh, that's amazing. And, and you, said, you mentioned earlier that now even becoming kind of an expert on that young topic and uh, you have been asked to maybe do some consulting. Um, what does it mean? Are there brands coming to you or the researchers asking you for advice or about your expertise? What, what, what does it mean? Um, I mean, it's, I think it's a combination. So um, I've had just personal inquiries by people who read it. 
I've had just, I've presented it actually at IFM a few weeks ago. Um, and there I got just questions from fellow students who, who were interested to know, okay, you made this statement. What does it mean by this? Do you think this or that? Which I thought was really cool because I think, I mean, scientific research, it can be a bit like uh, not accessible. So it's really nice mm -hmm. to make it come alive and to have a discussion cool. about it. And then um, because my, my current um, uh, manager and f teacher before um, Andrian uh, was were co-authors. Um, their um, caring is also mentioned in the article on IFM. So they're also contacted. And then on a brand level, sometimes other brands are just interested to know how we are working on durability, what are approaches, or they just use it as a research. So to be honest, I had no idea if this article published with people were going to read it. But it's actually really nice to see that, that people do find it a useful resource and uh, it has its purpose. So yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah, no, that's uh, amazing. Uh, quite a, a a journey, Esther. So uh, so far, um, yes. we like to to kind of wrap up a little bit of our conversation. So from the outside, it feels like uh, you know everything was kind of not planned, but one step uh, after the other one. But as you already know, like uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, sometimes it's hard to understand what kind of jobs position. Have you ever like felt that you were maybe a little bit lost or not knowing where you wanted to go? And how did you kind of manage that, uh, those feelings at that moment? I've definitely had um, issues with positioning myself because I'm interested in so many parts and um, you don't always know all the possibilities you have. Personally, for me, I always just follow my gut feeling and follow my heart because it sounds super cheesy, but... On a few occasions, I didn't do it. And I tried like, you know, I'm going to choose a brand uh, because, you know, it's a nice brand. But I think mm -hmm. for sure it's the biggest advice I can give anyone, although it's a nice and big brand. But if it's a position that you already know that you're not going to like, don't do it. Because we all have this idea, yeah, but once I'm there, I'm going to be able. No, you apply for an internship and they want you to do that. And the bigger companies are very structured. Your number without, yeah, it's really like that. Your number 100, I don't know, um, that does this job role. They want you to do it well. And if you do it good, okay, the better. But thinking that you can, of course, you can always excel. Of course, you can always give ideas. And that's always what I recommend. Take initiative and try to, you know, push it further. But in a way, don't get like blindsided by a brand. It should really be important to um, follow your heart and also listen uh, to your gut feeling when you have your interview, if you think that it could work because a manager decides everything. And if you feel from the start that the connection with the manager is not there, or you have a bit of a funny feeling, uh, reconsider it. I mean, you never know. It can always turn out better or worse, but I do think that there are some indications um, that can, can help you from the start. So, yeah, I would say and follow in the end, follow your passion and try to, um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that you always have to do that. You will always do things that you like. You will always have to do some things you don't like. And every job has parts that are less fun, but that's part of it. And I think it's normal and you always learn from it. So, yeah, I think that would be my advice. Yeah, that's a, I love the, the gut feeling. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's always a. A, a good one but something that I, I feel uh, in you is that that gut feeling is really developed 
especially you say when you were three years old, you already knew what you wanted to 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 wear. Mm, is there like a have you I don't know uh, any type of practice or way of thinking to kind of be so aligned with what you want and don't want, kind of to nourish that gut feeling, or is that something 100% intuitive uh, for you? Um, I think it is for sure intuitive, but for me, because I'm so passionate about the part of the industry I work in, um, it's really there in my daily life. And I think that's helping me because it's such an evidence. So because I also evolve on a personal level, it helps shape what I want to do on a professional level. And there, the line is so thin, which is sometimes also a problem because I would wake up at uh, seven in the morning, start to read about sustainability and go to bed at 11 and still be reading sustainability. So sometimes I do need to, you know, take a break. Um, but in a way I never can because it's always running. And as I said before, to go back to the start, it's everywhere. So this gut feeling has been there, but it's also just being nourished by um, choosing projects and choosing experiences that I like. And they nourish me and they give me um, new experiences and they give me new ideas and then it helps me go to the to the next one. And one thing that I need to still do, but I've learned along the ways to, I plan a lot and I sometimes plan too much in the way that it could like limit me to say yes to an opportunity that comes to me. Because I've learned that it's impossible for me to say in a year, I'm going to move there and work there. Because throughout that year, so many things happen and so many things change. And actually, I've learned that a lot of great opportunities just come on your pod as well. And it's also important to be able to kind of, not impulsively, but in a way also be like, oh my God, yes, this is a super nice project. I'm just going to do it. And I think it's this balance between, okay, I want to be prepared and I want to know what's going on, but also I want to be open for, for projects that come on my pod. And that's something I'm still figuring out that I'm slowly but surely I'm learning it and I'm learning to say no still working on it but um, I'm trying to prioritize projects that make me happy and 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 that yeah bring me something as well hey I've got some exciting news for you until the end of the year I'm offering a 50% off my usual rate that's mean you can get one-on-one coaching session with me for only 60 euros per hour Here's the catch. There is only 100 hours of discounted sessions available. Why? Let me tell you. As a coach, I'm always looking to improve my skills and help my clients achieve their goals. That's why I've decided to pass the level 1 of the International Coaching Federation, known as ACC, for Associate Certified Coach. To obtain this new certification, I will need to complete at least 100 hours of coaching over the next 12 months. And I want you to be part of the journey. So if you want to discover coaching or know someone who might benefit from it, please reach out on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards. Whether you are facing personal or professional challenge or want to get clarity on your next career move, I will be able to help. I've experienced in a wide range of topics, including self-confidence, Boston syndrome, team communication, as well as management and leadership. If you are going through a career transition or need help assessing your skills, that's one of my specialties. So again, reach out on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards. And let's talk during a 30-minute 
complementary meaning. I love it. The the priority and learning to say no, it's a really hard skill, but along the way, I think it's probably one of the most important one to to master, to really decide what we want to do and not let other people agenda. Mm. I think uh, maybe for your coaching, that could be a great um, topic because I, everybody has some guiding people in their life, maybe parents, managers, mm. teachers, and everybody most of the time has good intentions, but there's a point, and now I came to that point that it's like, okay, it's my life. And actually, it's a great proposition, but I I don't want to do it. I, I want to do something else. And I think that's, for me, the, been the biggest evolution over the past year. And IFM has helped with it. The internship has helped with it. You grow as a person, and you just start to really be able to make your own independent decisions. So, yeah, and I think, yeah, a coach, but then maybe the, you will follow the coach too much. But I think you're, because you will be, you'll be able to translate it into an effective coaching where you can <laughs> teach people how to listen to themselves. So, yeah. It's, it's exactly <laughs> that. You have to listen to yourself. And it, and, and remind me of a, a quote I wrote the other day that the maturity is the, the, the capacity to say no to great, to good projects, to say yes to great projects. That's it's kind true, of yeah. like, yeah, there is always really good, interesting idea, but you, mm -hmm. you want to wait for the great ones. And sometimes it's really hard, but as you said, they come and they arrive and you want to be able to grab them with everything you have yeah, exactly. because you say those are the ones that are going to you know, lead you to the next stage of your, of your life. And, and sometimes they don't arrive often and they're really small. So you have to be ready. Mm -hmm. uh, exactly. It's a good one. Esther, thank you so much for, for, for your time. Is there anything that you like to ask from the, the, the listeners, anything that you want them to maybe look at, read, like uh, uh, to expand their knowledge before we, we wrap up? Um, I think I'll provide you like a brief list of some great resources, documentaries, um, books, articles, or newsletters for sustainability uh, where they Amazing. can get started. So I think that's yeah. a great start. Um, and then otherwise, just the curiosity and really try to find your own approach to sustainability. I think that's really important. And that will also be the thing that sets you apart. And don't try to just fit in with what others are doing or be blindsided by fancy seminars that are super expensive online courses. Uh, it's not all about the name. Like really, I, I noticed that currently, yes, for like your education is one part, but there's so many different aspects and so many different things you can bring um, for a recruiter or for any other project. So really try to have your, your own personal approach and, and follow your gut feeling. And I'm sure you'll, you'll get there. Thank you a lot, Esther, for, for your time. It's been an amazing conversation. Can, can wait to see what you're going to do with the next article, or at least the second one. And maybe we can plan a, a round number two uh, and see where, where, where you are uh, next. That would be amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Esther. Bye-bye. Thank you. So what do you think? Do you see yourself working in sustainability or at least trying to implement a more sustainable approach to your task? What I keep from this conversation is that nobody has the perfect answer when it comes to this topic. Which means there is not yet a clear path to learn and acquire the skills needed to make our industry evolve. 
It really comes to us to make the effort to learn and try to implement new best practices. At the end, we need to be the change we want to see and get involved whenever we can inside our current organization. We also need to be patient and keep in mind that not everybody will be receptive to our ideas. So to help you in your journey, start with the resources provided by Esther in the show notes and follow your curiosity. Remember, sustainability exists at all the levels of the organization. So choose one that you are passionate about and dig in. If you're still hearing this, thank you so much for tuning in. I know how much your time is valuable. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. If you have any questions, comments, or requests, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Until next time, I wish you a wonderful day.